What a blessing it is to know that His grace reaches us and that we can be, even this morning, in His grace, thanks to the benefits of what He did for us on the cross, that we can have a relationship with God and with one another, fellowship, eternal fellowship with Him and with each other because of His wonderful grace. Thank you for being here this morning to honor the God of heaven and His Son, Jesus Christ, who died for us. We pray that the things we do this morning will be beneficial to you, but primarily that we will honor and glorify the God who loved us so much and whose grace truly saves us. We have been talking all year long here at Eastside along the theme of being God's house of prayer. And as we wind up the year, I want to make some observations about the theme this morning, just sort of a winding up the idea, but also Uh, saying some things hopefully that will help us carry this not only into the new year but to all life that we may have left ahead of us. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 16. Psalm 16 verses 2 and 3. The psalmist David writes, O my soul, you have said to the Lord, you are my Lord, My goodness is nothing apart from you. As for the saints who are on the earth, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. We are no good without God. Without God's grace, which we just sang about, without the benefits of his forgiveness, uh, without him in our lives, we don't amount to to much, and certainly not goodness. Someone has said that in whatever man does without God, he must fail miserably or succeed even more miserably. <laughs> On our own, we just don't amount to much. But with God, with God, we can be excellent. We'll be talking about that more in the coming year as we think about seeking to excel But here we're called, saints are, the excellent ones. In his classic book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis is talking about how God has created and designed us to run on fuel like you would create a car, say, to run on gasoline. And the car is not going to run unless you put the gasoline in it. And I realize now, of course, we have electric cars or whatever, but whatever it is that the fuel is, it's got to have that fuel. And I suppose that if you put uh, gasoline in an electric car, that's not going to work. If you just put electricity in a gas car, that's probably not going to work. So you've got to have the right fuel to run the car according to the design. God has designed us, if you will, to run on Him. We accomplish what He's intended us to accomplish through and by Him. C.S. Lewis went on to say then, He Himself is the fuel our spirits were designed to burn. He is the food for our spirits that we are designed to feed on. There is no other. That is why it is just no good asking God to make us happy in our own way without bothering with religion. Because God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. It does not exist. There is a God-sized hole in man. And only he can fill that. Only he can fill that. Our own whatever it is, 
righteousness, ideas about how to live, who we are without Him is worthless. But, but God makes us holy, God makes us righteous, and God makes us ultimately useful. He is the one who makes us excellent. And so when we turn to Isaiah chapter 64, we see Isaiah saying this, in essence. He says in verse 6 that we are all like an unclean thing, and our, all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. So all of the good stuff that we do really doesn't amount to much, whatever we're trying to accomplish. We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. In verse 7 he says, There is no one who calls on your name, who stirs up himself to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and have consumed us because of our iniquities. So we haven't done what's good and we haven't done what's right and we're insubstantial as a result of that and we're apart from God as a consequence of that. And then, though, Isaiah says in the next verse, But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay and you are a potter. And all we are the work of your hand. The implication as Isaiah goes on there is, God, you can make us into what you want us to be. And you can use us as the instruments that you have created us to be. You can do that. Even though we have miserably failed. And here is the promise. Here is the hope of every human being. That God will take the life that we have ruined and the person that we have become, which is insubstantial, and make us into something glorious by His grace, by His mercy, with His power. And that's what the Apostle Paul then experiences as he becomes a Christian. He realizes, as he talks about in Philippians chapter 3, that all of his marvelous accomplishments, everything that he had accomplished in the Jewish religion among his countrymen, all the great status that he had was ultimately here, from in a human standpoint, you would look at that and you'd say, well, Paul had it going on. Saul of Tarsus was the bomb, okay? In but he recognized it, recognized it was all worthless. It was all meaningless. And so he says in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 8, Indeed, I also count all things lost. I've counted all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom... I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. All of this stuff that I had, all of these accomplishments that were mine, garbage. What did Isaiah say? Filthy rags. Worthless. All of these great things that Paul had done on his own. He says they're all garbage. I've thrown them all away. Count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. God has, if I am anything, God has made me what I am. If I'm worth anything, it's because God has created that in me by His grace and through faith, which of course includes obedience. Paul gets back on this same subject matter in Titus chapter 3 and verse 5. When he says it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. Not by the greatness that we accomplish, not by our personal goodness or righteousness, but it's his mercy and his grace 
enabling us to be forgiven. And his strength and his power enabling us to do something and be something that's not just worthwhile, that's not just okay, but that is excellent. That is excellent. So without God, we're nothing. But with God, we are excellent. That's the picture of Scripture. That's what David said in the 16th Psalm. Who are are the saints? As for the saints who are on the earth, they are the excellent ones. That's what David had said. Or who are the saints? Who are these excellent ones in whom God delights? Not because of their innate goodness, but because they have been called and cleansed. That's who they are. Saints are those who have been called into a relationship with God. And certainly in the New Testament. This is the specific teaching, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 2. Paul writes to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. The word sanctified means to be made holy. Literally, it means to be made a saint. To be made a saint. Same root word as saint in the original language. It's the verb form of it. We're sanctified. We're We're cleansed. We're made holy. Paul says we're called to be saints, sanctified in Jesus Christ, called to be saints with all who in every place call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both theirs and ours. He puts it another way, but same meaning in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 7 when he says that God did not call us in uncleanness to uncleanness, but in holiness. God doesn't call us to use us and to be His and to have a relationship with Him to stay unclean and filthy and not worthwhile. He doesn't call us to continue in sin, to save us in sin. He saves us from our sins and calls us away from sin. So, called to be saints. We are sanctified, cleansed by the washing of regeneration. If you're going to be clean, you have to be. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 11, as the Apostle Paul there had talked about just a number of worldly uh, sins and uh, evils in the world, some of which the Corinthians themselves have participated in and been a part of before they became Christians. He says, such were some of you. But then he says, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So, washed, sanctified, cleansed through the power of Jesus Christ. So, what is a saint? Well, a saint is someone who was really worthless at one time, who was really filthy at one time, but they were called and they were sanctified through faith in Jesus Christ. So the saints are then the excellent ones in whom the Lord delights. I want to talk a little bit about that word excellent for a minute. As it's found in the Old Testament, especially the word excellent in the Psalms particularly, is most often used to refer to God himself. He is excellent. 
excellent. The original word carries with it the idea of uh, magnificent, great and greatly to be honored, who is glorious, perhaps someone who has power. In Psalm 8, in verse 1, and also in verse 9, the psalmist says, How excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. God is so great and so glorious, the earth can't really contain it. His glory is above the heavens. He is so excellent. Excellent. In Psalm 76, in verse 4, You are more glorious and excellent than the mountains of prey. That is God. And in Psalm 93 and verse 4, where in the New King James Version, this same word is translated mightier. The Lord on high is mightier, more excellent, if you will, than the noise of many waters, than the mighty waves of the sea. God, in his excellence, in his glory, in his greatness, is being described and lauded and adored. God delights in those whom he restores to righteousness. Those who were unrighteous, those who were unworthy, those whose righteousness was like filthy rags, God fixes that, cleanses them, makes them holy, makes them saints, and then he delights in them. In Job 33 and verse 26, as, as Job uh, has, has come to this, this point Elihu uh, is thinking with us about what God does to man in, 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 in this dialogue with Job. Job 33 and verse 26, He shall pray to God, and he will delight in him. He shall see his face with joy, for he restores to man his righteousness. You know what makes God happy? You know what makes God uh, feel delight about you and me when he looks at us and sees holiness and righteousness, which he himself has created in us. You see that? This is the creation of God, the recreation of us to be what God intended for us to be to begin with, which we soiled with our sins and our own failures. God has purified and cleansed and brought into a glorious state so that he might delight in us and so that we might have this relationship with him that's eternal. God delights in the man that he restores to righteousness. Now all that gets back to, again, what the psalmist said in Psalm 16. The saints who are on the earth are the excellent ones in whom is my delight. He's talking about you and me. If we've been sanctified, if we're saints, if we're in Christ. Now, I know I promised I was going to talk about being in this house of prayer, okay? Well, you're saying to me, what has this got to do <laughs> with being a house of prayer or being a part of the house of prayer? It's got everything to do with this. Because if you are a Christian this morning, if you are a saint this morning, you are a part of God's house of prayer. And it's not the, the, the sort of situation where you ought not to feel... Uh, comfortable there because of all of your past sins and all of your past failures. Quite the opposite of that. God has fitted you, has prepared you, and has placed you in his house of prayer. And he delights in you there. 
and it's not a situation where, oh, well, I don't know if I should ask God this or not. I'm, am I troubling God? God, I know you've got a lot on your mind right now. Uh, I shouldn't trouble you with my stuff right now. <laughs> no, it's not that at all. God delights in us and in answering us and in this relationship that we have with him. In his house of prayer, God accepts and delights in the worship and the adoration of the saints. Isaiah 56 and verse 7 has been one of our theme verses for the year. The Lord was talking about those who were lost among the nations whom he would ultimately save in the prophecy of Isaiah 56. He says, even them I will bring to my holy mountain. These are those Gentiles now scattered among the world. Even them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. As we're in the house of prayer, it's not to be entered with trepidation or fear or uncertainty, but we come into the house of prayer and we're joyful because we can be a part of it, because we can have this relationship with God, not still sullied with our sins, not still worthless as we once were, but made something through the power of God and brought to be where He wants us to be so that He might delight in us in His house of prayer, and we ought to feel it with all of the joy that we can possibly feel about anything, to be joyful in His house of prayer. Their burnt offerings, their sacrifices will be accepted at my altar, the Lord says. He's going to accept our offerings, our service. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, not just Jews, not just those who are His specially chosen and called people of the Old Testament, but all of us, called from the four corners of the earth, called from our unrighteousness and our worthlessness and our sinfulness to be saints, called into His house of prayer to experience the joy, to experience eternal joy. And God delights in His holy household. He has made it just like He wants it with you and me. Not as we were, but as He has changed us to be. And so Paul will say in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 19, Now therefore we are no longer strangers and foreigners. We're, we're not those outsiders that Isaiah was talking about who had to be brought in. We are now brought in. We are not, no longer strangers and foreigners, he says, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And that household of God is a house of prayer. We have been brought into it. Fellow citizens, no longer strangers and foreigners, but we're with the saints and legitimate members of the household of God. So going back to 1 Corinthians 1, where we noticed a minute ago, as Paul writes to that church that had really been in the world, you think about some of the things I mentioned a minute ago that, that were going on in Corinth with the, the, the gross idolatry, the, the abuse of the body, the, the sexual perversions that were all over the place in Corinth, just the, the filthy living that so many of these people had come out of. Uh, wholly unrighteous. And it is these people that Paul says... He's writing to, because they were sanctified in Christ Jesus, they were called to be saints with them 
and with all who in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ. So we're in the house of God, we're part of it, and we can call upon Him. His household. His household is something that He delights in. His people, a part of that household, receive what they ask for. He gives attention to their petitions. He delights in giving us what we want and what we need. Not because we really deserve it, we don't. But because of His goodness and His grace. His household receives His help in prayer and through prayer. In Romans chapter 8, the Apostle describes how the Holy Spirit, for instance, helps us in our prayers. He says, the, the Spirit helps in our weaknesses. We do not know how we should pray, what we should pray for as we ought. The Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows the mind of the, what, what the mind of the Spirit is because He makes intercession, intercessions for the saints according to the will of God. We've talked about the help the Holy Spirit gives us in prayer in an earlier lesson or two this year. But my point here is for us to see who He's given the help to. Those who are the saints. The ones that God has called saints and made to be saints. The Holy Spirit helps us. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 12. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are open to their prayers. He's watching you. He's listening for you. Why? Because you're a part of His house of prayer. Because you're a saint. Twice in the book of Revelation, you have that glorious picture of the prayers of the saints compared to incense coming up before the throne of God. And it just speaks to us of here, if you imagine heaven as the ultimate temple of God, and here he is, and there's an altar right before his throne. And on that altar, there's incense that's coming up, and he's, he smells it with his nostrils. He sees it with his eyes. But what that represents in the pictographic language of Revelation is your prayers. John sees it in Revelation 5 and verse 8, where the Lamb takes the scroll, and the four living creatures and the 24 elders fall down before the Lamb, and they each had a harp, and they had golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And then again, we see the scene in Revelation chapter 8 and verse 3, where there was an angel who had a golden censer, and he came and he stood at the altar. The altar that's right before the throne of God in the throne scene. And he has much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which is before the throne. And the smoke of the incense and the prayers of the saints Ascend before God from the angel's hand. Our prayers are right in the throne room of heaven. We are there 
and God sees us and hears us. And so this year we've focused on being that house of prayer. I hate to say becoming. We haven't talked about becoming the house of prayer. We are the house of prayer already. But being it, enjoying its privileges, and understanding what a great privilege it really is, where God has placed us, as Paul writes in Ephesians, and raised us up to sit in the heavenly places with Christ. The house of prayer, the house of prayer that we're a part of, is characterized by prayer. That word of, it's a house of prayer. Prayer characterizes it. It embodies what the house is all about, where human beings who have been made righteous by the work of God can talk to God, can communicate with Him openly and freely. It's a house that, that prayer is the function. It's what it accomplishes. So it, it's, it's characterized by prayer. It's where God hears prayer. He's watching us. He's listening to us. We're right there with Him. And in a way, this house of prayer is an answer to prayer itself, isn't it? Because without God, what does man need? Man needs God. Without God's help, what does man need? He needs God's help. And for all the long ages, for people who did not know God, perhaps in the Old Testament times to whom God had not specifically revealed Himself through prophets, and for many people today who have a deep need in their hearts and in their souls, who have that God-sized hole in them that has yet to be fulfilled by God, what do they need? They need that. They need God in their lives. They need the fuel of Him that He's designed them to run on. How does a person who doesn't know what they need express what they need, right? But if you could pray, if you're in that situation, you could pray for what it is that you need, that's what you would need. You need God in your life so that He could help you, so that He could save you, so that you could be with Him. This is the Lord's house. Not this, this. We are the Lord's house. Made by God for prayer and sacrifice. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5, Peter reveals to us that this, this house that God has built is made out of us. He says, that we are like living stones being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That word acceptable, we've noticed it, if you have noticed it today, in several of the verses, talking about us being acceptable to God, our prayers being acceptable to God, our worship being acceptable to God. That's what God created us to be. And so this morning, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, 
keep yourselves in the love of God. I want us to end this year understanding our position in the house of prayer and taking that with us for the rest of our lives. Here is what God has done with us. Here is where we are. Because God is so good. You have access to him this morning if you're a Christian. If you need help with your prayers, we'd love to pray with you and for you for whatever is ailing you in your life. If you're not a Christian, if you haven't named the name of Jesus, here's what's available to you. You can be a part of the house of prayer. You can have this connection to God now and for all eternity. Jesus is offering that to you. He says, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Come to Jesus. Name his name. In faith, turn away from sin. Be baptized in water for the remission of sins. Enter into, be added to this house of God. Become a saint. You're called. Let God choose you. Please come while we stand and while we sing.